as we continue to stand with the Lord in the noonday sun and to examine our hearts in the light of his love and to ask him the question to reveal these things to us um, just continue to sit with the Lord and, and as, I, as we suggested if thoughts stay with you write them down so maybe you don't forget them maybe at a later, later point God wants to feed you at these um, but so the, the structure of the day will be just as, as it's been going we'll have a, a talk, a brief talk then 10 to 15 minutes of reflection and then we'll have time for lunch uh, in, in within the midst of the day um, and our goal is to be finished by about 2.30 o'clock so you kind of have a time frame if, if you need to know that our goal is to be finished by 2.30 just for other events that are be going on in the hall here this afternoon our next presenters will be uh, Jeff and Amanda Foreman who will, will speak to us about the sins of lust and anger Good morning. So, you guys are all here on a Saturday morning. Woke up early, went to Mass, listened to the talks. So, obviously, none of us really struggle with these sins. So, but just in case you do, let's see what Jesus says. So, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the men of old, You shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool shall be liable to the hell of fire. Now let's really be honest with ourselves. We've all been angry. Whether it's at a person or a situation, we've all had, we've all had anger. We've all dealt with anger in our lives. <clears throat> So we have this about Jesus. He says, whoever's angry shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to hell. These are pretty tough words. And then we have St. Paul in Ephesians who says, I can find it, be angry but do not sin. So we get a sense from the scriptures that there's anger and then there's a sinful anger. St. Thomas Aquinas, he says that the sinful anger is an unreasonable and irrational and moderate desire for vengeance. So back in kind of the, the ancient eras, back when they were barbarians, so not like us, one guy would steal a chicken from one family, right? And that family would come back in return, and they would maybe slaughter the whole family. So it was very um, uneven. So they came up with this law, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Find that in Exodus. So it kind of created this justice. So if you do this to me, I do this to you. But if you think about it, I mean, anger in itself is an emotion, which we have these emotions which are from God. So, I mean, is it right to be and feel anger towards something that's not just or... You know, if you think of one of the worst things in your mind, if you think about human trafficking, or if you think about child pornography, or any of those really big things, and it can even be a smaller thing. You know, God did give us that, the feeling and emotion of anger for our own self so that we can really determine what is true and right and just. <clears throat> but going back to that eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we see this cycle of violence, this cycle of ang anger going back and forth from, you know, we've all heard that saying, 
if we really followed that, the entire world would be blind. You know, I would cut his arm off, then he would cut my arm off, and then he would pluck my eye out, and I would pluck his eye out. And truly, where does it end? And maybe some of us see this even within our own families, you know, even siblings. You know, we've all seen it with, you know, our siblings or our children getting back at one another, you know. <clears throat> and so the cycle of violence is exactly what Satan wants of us. And he wants it to just continue and continue and continue. But we know that Christ, who's here present with us, is the one who truly breaks that bond of that cycle of violence that we have even within our own families and even sometimes with ourselves. <clears throat> Dante talks about the punishment for anger being in a cloud of fog or smoke. And I think that's really appropriate to be within a cloud of smoke or fog because if you think about that, you're not able to see when you're in smoke. You're not able to see clearly. Maybe sometimes you even see something that wasn't even there. And also, I mean, if you're breathing in that smoke or that fog, maybe you're not able to talk correctly. Maybe you are stuttering in your speech. And this is what happens when we are in this cloud or fog of anger. We're not able to truly sense purely and then the light of day that Christ wants of us. So we see the act of forgiveness so clearly in the New Testament. You know, it's brought up over and over and over again. It's something that Jesus, I would say, is one of his favorite things to talk about. And one of my favorite lines that he says when he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And it's just, that's such a beautiful, beautiful verse. And it's something for all of us to remember that Jesus is asking of us. He's saying, I can't believe you did this to me, but I forgive you anyway. And God, forgive them. Forgive them. He talks about it in the Our Father, the prayer that Jesus himself taught us. When I was in grade school, we used to say this prayer, you know, on a regular basis, probably every day. And it just became such a repetitive thing for me that I was just like, yeah, that's just another regular prayer that we say Sundays at Mass and sometimes in school. But it wasn't until later in my life that I actually took time to notice the words that he used. And he says... Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I wonder to myself, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do I really do that? Do I really forgive? Do I really forgive? And I think about sometimes like the worst things that have ever happened to me, someone's hurt me to the core that have affected me for my entire life, have I truly forgiven them? Because that's what God has done for me. And it's something that he continues to do every single time that we go to confession and we walk inside that confessional and receive that gift of confession. Because how many times does Jesus say that you're supposed to forgive? Seven times? No, 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 no. Seven times 70. Yeah, that's right. And 
you know, he just, he continues to forgive us. And back then, that number was, like, ginormous. It was one of the largest numbers they could come up with, which now we have far surpassed that. <laughs> so it's an innumerable amount in their time. That was just so large and so vast. But God forgives us even more than that. And we are called to forgive just like Jesus. And this forgiveness readies us for the mission that God has given us as well. You know, what is, what is it that God asks of us and wants us to do? Go make disciples. Are we able to do that if we do not live as Christ has lived? Do not talk the way Christ has talked. Are we truly fulfilling our duty? One of my favorite stories, I actually just heard it on KBSS the other day. It's about two farmers who were brothers and their father had owned all this land and then when he passed away, he divided that land in half. So half the land was for one brother and half the land was for the other. And they were really good friends. I would almost say best friends. You know, they really got along with each other. They helped each other out, said, I need a plow over here. The other brother's like, I got your back. And, you know, for 40 years, they were just always there for each other. And then all of a sudden, they had a small dispute. And that small little thing grew into this entire monster of an ordeal between them. And how many times does that even happen with us when one person says one thing and then we take it to mean something else, either sometimes through social media or just media in general, you know, texting or an email we don't understand or the other person doesn't understand what we were really talking about and just gets blown up to this huge proportion. And so there's a rift between the two brothers in this land. And brother one was so upset that he took a bulldozer and divided the land in half and created a creek between the two. And then a carpenter came to town and said, brother two, I'm looking for some work. Is there anything I can do for you? Just a little job on the side. And the brother two says, I think I can find something for you to do. And he said, you see that house over there? That's my brother's land on that side past the creek. I want you to build me an eight foot tall fence so that I never have to see my brother ever again so I can live in peace and harmony and not ever have to think about him. So he said, okay, I can do that. So he spent the day measuring, going out to the field and getting all the supplies he needed and he spent the entire day working. And he was so proud of what he had made. He had brother number two come out and look at the field and look at his masterpiece. And it was nothing but the most beautiful, well done bridge that he had ever seen. And he had built this bridge between the two lands, connecting the two brothers once again. And then brother number one came out looking at what the carpenter did and said, looked at his brother and said to him, brother, after everything I've told you, after everything I've said to you and done to you and building this huge creek between us, you build a bridge. 
And he reached out his hand and said, let's begin anew. They invited the carpenter to stay for a few days and he said, he looked back and smiled and said, I have many more bridges to build. We look at this story and we think of Jesus being that carpenter, building those bridges. And sometimes it takes us to stop that cycle of violence that we were talking about and build that bridge. Because sometimes it takes you. There's, I'm not sure if you guys listen to Kayla, but there's a song that's out right now and I just, it's one of my favorites. And the songwriter was talking about the song and he said, you know, I'm so confused by why there's so much pain and suffering in the world and why doesn't God just come down and fix it? You know, there's all these children starving in Africa. Why doesn't God just come down and give them water and food? And then he heard in his heart, that's why I've created you. You know, that's why I've created you. I've created you so that you can go out and help the world and be that little change that the world needs. So in the cycle of anger, one person hurts you and you have to get back at them, right? And it creates a big ordeal like we've been talking about. And it goes back and forth, creating this huge cycle of violence. But as Christians, we're called to stand there with Christ on the cross. He stood there on the cross. He absorbed all of our sin. They mocked him. They spit at him. They ridiculed him. They beat him. He absorbed it all. And like Amanda said earlier, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So forgiveness is courageous and it's dangerous because you can forgive them, but they might put it right back in your face. For it said, forgiveness is an active engagement of evil. It's not fighting back. It's turning the other cheek, like Jesus said. Martin Luther King Jr., back during the Civil Rights Movement, he would send maybe five people into, you know, the white side of the restaurant. And, you know, they'd be spit at, they'd be mocked, they'd be ridiculed, and then they'd be arrested. Okay, they're arrested, send five more. Well, those five are arrested, he would send five more. So in this, they're absorbing the energy of anger, right? They're wearing it down in a sense. So in our lives, when those who hurt us, those who are angry at us, instead of fighting back anger for anger, taking an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We're called to stand with Christ on that cross and love and to forgive. And forgiveness isn't just, yeah, good thoughts, okay, you know, I'll let it slide. It's an active engagement of evil, an active engagement. So we go back and we love them. We love that person. Instead of just saying, okay, cool, you know, it's fine. We love them. We actively love them, actively seek out ways to serve them. A really great example of this, even within our own marriage, is I really enjoyed Father Michael's talk earlier because I learned a lot about myself, specifically um, about how sometimes I can be the lashing one in the relationship, you know, especially in the early mornings when Jeff sometimes says something, I can be the one to be like, what did you just say? (laughs) And I'm always surprised because This is how he usually responds. Okay, I'll say something really irrational, probably really mean. And Jeff will say, turn and look at me with the most loving eyes and say to me, Amanda, I love you and I know you didn't mean that. (laughs) 
I know husband points for sure. I usually do that out of pride, though, so. <laughs> We're not going to say that. But yeah, I mean, that's such a great reminder to me every single time. Like, he shows me how to love and how to not have that anger and that pride, I guess, as Father Michael was talking about. Okay, so the thing is, just like those two brothers, we need Christ, the great bridge builder, to forgive. Because just like all virtues, forgiveness is a grace that we receive. So we must ask Christ for this grace and teach us how to forgive. We must look to him on the cross to see how we forgive. And just like all graces, we have to choose to accept it. We have to accept the grace, and we have to use the grace. So, don't really have a good segue. So next, (laughs) we'll speak about lust. So, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 to 28, he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what is lust? Lust is using another person for our own ends, for our own good, for ourselves, for me. So using them as an object. This can happen in marriage between husband and wife. John Paul II, he said, I think, I don't know, back in the 70s or 80s, he wrote, or he was interviewed or something, he said, um, not even husband and wife should lust after each other. And all these reporters got this, they were like, what? Then who can a man lust at? (laughs) That's the point. So no one, right? Because you're using the person as an object. Um, C.S. Lewis says, a lustful man does not want woman. He wants an experience for which woman, he needs woman to achieve. So he uses her as an object instead of respecting the dignity of who she is. G.K. Chesterton, he says, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is truly seeking God. Much like um, Augustine saying, you know, in all my wanderings and all my searching, I was searching for God. John Paul II kind of takes this a step further in Theology of the Body, and he just talks about how sex is an image of God and a foretaste of heaven, an image of the unity between the Holy Trinity. So, in lust, in all these sins, we're truly seeking after God. We're seeking union with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But when we stop at lust, which is a sign that's supposed to point us towards Christ, towards the Trinity, towards heaven. Sorry. When we stop at the symbol, we stop at the sign, we stop at lust, and we use that to satisfy us and try to fulfill us. It's like you're driving down the interstate, and it says hotel five miles. And instead of going all the way to the hotel to get a room, you stop at the sign and you try to get shelter under the sign. So it doesn't completely work. It doesn't truly satisfy the ends. It doesn't go to where the sign is pointing you towards. So what is the antidote to lust? The antidote to lust is chastity. So what is chastity? It is the refusal to use each other. I wanted to make a side note really quick to, um, you know, in all those quotes, you always hear about men lusting after a woman. But as women, we know that we also can lust after men. And also, I think it's really important to note that not only is lust necessarily a sexual sin, 
I mean, how many of us have ever felt used before in our life? You know, we've all felt used, whether by a coworker or, you know, maybe a child or a spouse. You know, we've all felt used, whether it was for their own personal gain or something. Like, that is still lust. You know, not in the way that society and that we, you know, now see that it is, but it truly is lust because we're using that other person for our own personal gain. So as Jeff was saying, the antidote to lust is chastity, which is the refusal to use each other and actually seeing the true dignity and love that each person has within them. And I think it's really important to note and to think about, so what is true love? What is true love? It is telling a spouse or someone that you love so dearly, whether it's a child or a relative or a friend, I do not need you. And that's a little shocking. I do not need you because maybe we're used to hearing that from a child. Mom, I don't need you. I don't need you anymore. Or maybe your boss, I don't need you anymore. You know, sometimes we're used to hearing that in that, in that way, in that sense. But I'm talking about it in the way of love. I don't need you. I don't need you because I love you. And I love you through not needing you. So So you don't need the person because needing them is, would be something that fulfills you, right? Where love is loving them for who they are, for their own good, for their own sake, not for anything that they can do or give to you. Yeah, so true love is willing the good of the other for their own good, which we know. You know, truly wanting that good for their sake and not for your own. That's true love and true chastity. So, and chastity kind of ties in directly with purity of heart. Um, Father Hazing, the vocation director, once told me that true purity of heart is relating everything to the Father. So it's all the thoughts, all the feelings, all the desires in my heart, relating it and giving it to the Father, no matter how bad, no matter how messed up or distorted you feel it may be, relating it to the Father. And he gives you true purity of heart from that, relating everything to him. And we pray, just like forgiveness, chastity is a grace that the Father gives to us. So we'll close this thing out in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that you will reveal to us anyone in our hearts that we may need to forgive, anyone that needs our forgiveness, that you might remove the cloud of smoke from our hearts, from our minds, from our speech, that you may teach us how to forgive and give us a heart for forgiveness. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come into our hearts to purify us let your light shine in the dark spots in our heart and in our mind that we may come to know you, that we may come to serve you, that we may see purely without any veils over our eyes, without any fog, any smoke. We just ask that you pour into our hearts the graces and the virtues of forgiveness and chastity, that we might come to love you more. We might come to our final goal, which is heaven. And we ask all this through the intercession of our Holy Mother, Hail Mary.
full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit.